Hello, everybody, and welcome to Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to. In case you're new to the program, I'm Brandon Ellis. I'm your host and also the owner of Elatech. As we jump into the episode for today, I want to ask that you hit that follow button and subscribe button based upon the platform that you're listening on. And if you're listening specifically on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and you enjoy what you hear today, leave us a five-star rating and review. We sure would appreciate it. Now that we've got the marketing out of the way, I just want to say thanks for tuning in. So let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to. I'm Brandon Ellis, your host, and with me, as always, is Miss Beth Elliott. <laughs> hey, Brandon. <laughs> got, the, got the sound effects down today. You do, you got do. Got them on lock. <laughs> you know, it seems awfully empty in here today. Yeah, we've we've had quite a few guests on the last <laughs> few podcasts, so uh, it is a little bit, but it kind of comfortable too it is it yeah. is back to the two got, of us got some elbow room <laughs> elbow room well we got some fantastic things to talk with you guys about uh but kick us off beth what's what's in the news from your perspective well uh we've got let's see here we've got a couple new uh, partners new partners pizzato pizzato so pizzato does uh safety mainly safety industrial safety components so door interlocks rfid type uh safety interlocks they also do push buttons. They do some fantastic e-stops that I really like because oh. the the legends are actually illuminated. They have this door handle oh, that's, that's fantastic. Sweet. So, you know, your door interlocks. We do a lot of robot robot sales here at Elotech. And so there's the safety aspects that come with that. And so uh, the door interlocks that they have have a door handle. You can get just a door handle. Wah, wah, wah. You know. But <laughs> you, can get a, you can get a door handle that's got a tricolor LED inside that's totally programmable. <laughs> Oh, that's the wrong one. I thought I had them unlocked. There we go. <laughs> Tri-color LED. So now all of a sudden, you can change the color of the door handle itself. And this is what the operator or the team leader or the maintenance person would use to access the machine. And so if the uh, machine's in a certain state where you can access it, maybe it's green, maybe that's a blue, maybe that's a yellow, something like that, maybe it's flashing, you can program all those things together. And it's all integrated into one M12 connector. It's really a slick deal. It is, yeah. Those were really nice. You saw those, yeah. Yes, yes. And their hinges, my goodness, those hinges hinges are fancy. They're actually load-bearing safety hinges. And 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 they actually have uh, the the load-bearing, the the larger load-bearing one, actually does its own self-checking. So you can hit higher categories safety without the need for for secondary type systems. And so what that means is basically for all you, I'll nerd out a second here on safety, if you'll, you'll go back to our many, many, many years ago, uh, not years ago, but a year and a half ago, automate, what was it, industrial automation, it doesn't have to be unsafe, I believe. And we had uh, Dave Rice of Datalogic was talking about the uh, safety categories associated with line, safety line scanners and safety light curtains and stuff. And so when you got those those deals, it comes down to basically self-checking. And so self-checking means that it's checking to make sure that none of the contacts, associated, con- associated contacts are welded or shorted, things of that nature. And this load-bearing hinge, meaning you can hang a door on it. It's your hinge. You don't have to have a hinge and then also a, a safety device. It is the safety device and the hinge. Uh, and it's uh, it gives what we call an OSSID uh, output or dual out dual channel output. So that that is a safe higher safety category. Okay. So it's pretty interesting. The number one thing that's most interesting about Pizzato, it's in stock. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's a good thing. <laughs> and so so that's been a great thing. So we've got a lot of customers that are really kind of trying it for the first time because they they may not be as familiar with the brand. It's an Italian made brand. It's, it's a high quality. Very high quality. And and again, Italian made but stock and and support here in the US. Has been supported for quite some time, but just not as well known. But because they're stock, it makes it easier to take that chance, and and nobody has been has has had regrets. So we're we're pretty happy with the line. Yeah, and our other one is Honeywell. Honeywell products. So so Honeywell, we're excited to be a Honeywell partner, and that's primarily on the the handheld scanners, the fixed scanners, and the and the uh, you know that they use for a lot of things from you know shipping. Receiving logistics, uh, they're big, of course, in the retail world and things of that nature. But in the industrial manufacturing world, uh, we use them a lot with our IT departments for IoT-based systems and things of that nature. But also they do the fixed scanners, so for conveyors. And, and again, that's more distribution, that kind of stuff. But also Honeywell 
And this is a this is a long, long discussion, uh, past discussion where we're all trying to figure out who owns who. Okay. But Intermec printers, which are very predominant in the industrial manufacturing workplace, be it, be it also in the in final pack out assembly and things of that nature, but just along the line, Intermec printers are owned wholly owned by Honeywell, and oh, okay. so. And so that's uh, that. That is Honeywell as well. So um, if you're in in our region and we can help you with any of those Honeywell products, we're happy to do that. So reach out. Yeah, and uh, I think we've got some training coming up too, don't we? We have some new trainings. We've been man, we've been getting asked to do a lot of trainings, and so our training center, you know, we're bringing it back online. But it's also been difficult uh, because we've given <laughs> we've given away a lot of our training hardware to customers who are in need mm-hmm. uh, because of the supply chain shortage, which we have been talking about for over oh a year. Too long. <laughs> Way too long. <laughs> and unfortunately, still here. Uh, we're, we're still we're st- still praying to the good Lord above that he's going to uh, see us through this thing because uh, we're all pretty much over it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we've got semiconductor shortages and all this kind of stuff. So so as we're that's affected of course our training yeah. center. Uh, because we can't we gotta have we gotta have stuff for students to use. And so we're putting that together now, we're vamping that back up. But a couple of the new things we've got coming is uh, we're working on a new FANUC uh, uh, robot maintenance maintenance programming based uh, class and th- this would be a precursor to the the longer multi-day type mm-hmm. classes if you want to go to that level but if uh, companies many of our companies manufacturers a lot of people use fanic uh, robots so if you're using yellow robots the yellow fanic robots and you want some training from a maintenance standpoint we're putting together a one-day curriculum it might go to a two-day but uh, we're going to try but we're trying our best to keep everything mashed into one day so what that means is you're not going to be bored that's true it's going to be fast-paced. Um, it is, but we're also going to keep the class sizes very small because we want them with robots the yeah. whole time. Yeah. And so, still getting hold of robots uh, is a challenge. Mm-hmm. But we we do have we do have uh, the fanic the fanic robots and things of that nature. And so, we'll be offering those as part of our Elatech University. So, feel free to go to www.elatech.com and click on Training Center, and you can see about all of our trainings. But that's one that's going. And then also, we're vamping up our more Automation products training. So under that category would be PLC training, HMI training, and so of course, and drives training mm-hmm. and motion training. And so a lot of that's going to be our Siemens products. So we're putting together Siemens trainings that we'll be offering. But also we still have in the past, and and we're 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 being pressed to do so, and we want to make sure that we meet our customers where they are. And so uh, offering some PLC based training classes that aren't necessarily Siemens, just but but are are very much being requested by our customer base. And so these are PLC platforms that we don't sell, we don't represent, but we are familiar with. Mm-hmm. And so we can we can create those curriculums and do from that. Yeah. But but it's the same thing. Got to get hardware. Yeah. And so we're hitting that pulled together. We certainly have Siemens hardware. So if you need Siemens hardware, give us a call. If it's part of our training center, though, I'm not going to let you have That's it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know when this thing's going to be done, but we do have some Siemens hardware in stock, uh, HMIs, PLCs, uh, small power supplies, things of that nature. And then Siemens on the shelf has a lot of power supplies and network switches mm-hmm. as well if, as variable frequency drives. And so if that's uh, something you're looking for, certainly let us know. That's right. So exciting stuff there. So <sighs> I don't need, I wish I could cut it off. So here, yay. We got some new pro, new product partners in training. That's right. So take us into today's title. All right. So today's title is Industrial IoT. It doesn't have to be misleading. Yes. And so this is a hot topic for me. It is. It very much is because marketing, I have a huge respect for marketing folks. Beth is our marketing manager and also the producer of this podcast, and so she works very hard to do that. She does a fantastic job, but she also, I believe, is in agreement with me sometimes when I say this is a total mismarketing of a term, a product, a, po- a capability, or something. It's, and, and I'm not saying it's necessarily being done on purpose, it may be a misunderstanding, but at the end of the day, it can mis- be misleading mm-hmm. uh, to many of our customers, and and I have a I have a very very low tolerance for that. Yeah, yeah, because it can cost. It can be a real price. It can be a price, as you've got there. What's the real price? It can be it can be a price a 
pricing nightmare. Mm-hmm. And we've t- I've touched on that in the past podcast where we've had customers, actual customers, our customers in our area where we're, we're talking to them and they, you know, usually it starts out about, where were you guys? Man, I wish we knew you guys two years ago or a year ago or something like that. And then they start to tell me the story. And the story comes down to you just had some really good sales and marketing stuff going on. You may have had a dashboard that just looked really good. Yeah. And you honestly, you're baited into hearing what you want to hear. Mm-hmm. And so many times, you know, and that's true. We have all probably if you've if you've lived more than than you know, twenty years, you you've probably got a situation where I don't know if you were you might have been buying a video game, a car, a, I don't know, sports tickets, but you heard what you wanted to hear. And then when you get there, you realize, wow, this was kind of too good to be true. Just wasn't, it wasn't exactly Didn't what meet I, the expectations. I was yeah. 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 And so, so now, now you're paying the price. Yeah. And then you're kind of sour on the whole thing after that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, and and that's that's what we've seen also is they've just said, you know what, we management, usually management's like, yeah, they've just kind of, you know, sh- shaking their heads at that and said, well, yeah, we're not going down that road again. Let's get back. Some have gotten back to tick sheets and manual entry. And unfortunately, it's just today, uh, today it's, it's difficult to live like that. Yeah. But I'll hit you with a trivia question. Oh, okay. So what's the... Only reason, not number one, the only reason to implement an IoT system, Beth. Oh, can I answer before it's over? If you, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> it's to make educated business decisions. Yes, educated business decisions. So if you're considering an IoT, an IoT is an acronym. IOT stands for Internet of Things, uh, and we call it IIOT, or there's Industrial IOT, or there's Industry 4.0, and then there's all kinds of other mishmashes of that. But what it means is, it's devices on in, in, in for in industrial manufacturing. It means that we want to connect what we call smart devices, which is a PLC, a robot controller, that kind of stuff, but also it could be cameras, sensors, those kind of things. Uh, so level two, level three devices, we want to connect to them to the upstairs systems. The data repositories upstairs could be hosted, which means it's on, on premise. It's on, on your property. You own it. You manage it from a database server standpoint or hosted uh, cloud-based, which means it's hosted in the cloud. Somebody else owns the server. Somebody else manages it. And you hope they take care of you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hope it's secure. <laughs> and then you hope it's secure. That's right. And so so one you own, one you're renting. Mm-hmm. That's really, it's a lease or a or buy kind of situation. And so that's what IoT is. There's a lot of things that people try to categorize it as in certain categories. And some I totally, some I disagree with and some I totally disagree with. Okay. Let's hear your brand rant. All right. So... There are a few categories that people try to um, put an IoT system in and classify an IoT system and IoT hardware. Okay, so and I'm I'm not getting into PCs and things of that nature. I mean, it's all hardware. So, is an IoT system just simply something that funnels data, just grab data from here and put it there from usually the plant floor on up? Most people aren't. I don't say a lot of people don't think in terms of down. <laughs> From the IT side down, of course, we we encourage our customers to go both directions uh, to to get the maximum benefit. So that means data from the the plant floor devices and those smart devices up to the data repositories, or from the repositories back down to the smart devices. And so that's one classification. I agree with that. That that is a fair uh, classification of what IoT or an IoT device is and where it fits. The, the other classification is something that simply what we call uh, translates or, or protocol converter. So a protocol, of course, is language. And so where it's saying, okay, this PLC can't talk directly to my database server. And so it's just we view it as just something that's translating the language. Yes, that's possible, but that is not 100% of a classification for an IoT system. That's what we would call a protocol converter or a protocol gateway. Usually we don't use that between IT and OT. Usually that's used between, you know, 
making one brand of PLC who talk, that talks one language talking to another, usually field bus languages, uh, converting Ethernet IP to Profinet or, or Ethernet IP or Profinet, something like that, to a network, uh, an Ethernet-based protocol to a serial-based protocol such as IOLink or something like that. Those are protocol com- converters. Okay. And so uh, we use those just in – we've used those for years yeah. in just the OT side of controls engineering. And so I don't really classify that as IoT, although those things can be used as part of an IoT system, especially if you've got legacy products, to bring those online to be able to get to your, your IoT system. But standing alone, they're not IoT. I don't classify that as an uh, an IoT system. Okay. It is a device that is... So I don't disagree with that completely. I just kind of disagree with it. Okay. If someone says an IoT system is a protocol converter and that's that, that's not all that it is. That's a component within an IoT system. Okay. Okay. Did you want to go through any more of the terms? <laughs> then we get to the ones that I completely disagree okay. with. And then the asinine. So this is the one I completely disagree with. Marketing is trying to mash in what what I call remote connect. And so this is just a, a VPN, remote, a secure VPN device, which allows uh, someone on the outside, we've talked about this in some of our cybersecurity podcasts, uh, to be able to remote in, remotely access a machine, a controller, something like mm-hmm. that. And it, it's really meant for offsite access to be able to to do diagnostics or, or work on, a, you know, even programming, things of that nature. So if if Elitech was the integrator or, or was the programmer on a machine and the customer was in, I don't know. Idaho? Idaho or Hawaii or Chile, whatever, and somewhere far, far away, but there's network connections on both sides and we can deploy a hardware device that allows us to do what's called a secure VPN. It can be hardware w- tied in with cloud or whatever. There's a lot of different flavors. Then that's a remote access VPN module that has absolutely zero to do with industrial internet of things. That does not let you make educated business decisions on your processes or anything. Now, you might try to use that to do a kind of quasi-connection to a remote plant or remote device to pull data from it, but that's not really why, what it's designed to do. What it's designed to do is let someone, a person on their laptop, emulate being there beside the machine connected to it to do programming and diagnostics and not, you know, as a means to... Be a remote data okay. data acquisition system, and it's marketed that way, and I think it confuses a lot of people. Oh yeah! If you need remote access, it's the way to go. I mean, it's a secure VPN. If you get the right one, there's yeah. <laughs> there's some that are less secure, but uh, do your homework on that. But certainly presents a security vector as far as an access cybersecurity Mm -hmm. concern. Uh, But um, that's what it's for. It's not really for industrial Internet of Things. Okay. And now the asinine. Yeah, yeah, I want to hear it. (laughs) A new acronym. AIOT, Artificial Intelligence of things. Okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so artificial intelligence is a thing. I mean, a, a term. Mm-hmm. And an, an internet of things is a term. This is a mash squash together of those two that some marketing person thought that's pretty clever. It could be, but uh, I think the idea of it from your perspective, from a marketer yeah, it sounds great, but from your perspective as someone that actually uses it and does the stuff with it. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a constant push and we don't we don't want to I don't want to we can do another podcast on this uh if you would like. So let us know, but artificial intelligence and industrial internet of things can be involved, but that's and again, what defines artificial intelligence? This goes back to, you know, six, five, six, seven years ago when nobody knew what the heck IoT was. What's a thing? What's an Internet of Things? And I remember having tons of those conversations. Yeah. Well, people are going to be asking what – are asking now, what's artificial intelligence? What's it really mean? Because there's sensor companies, uh, vision sensor companies, you know, all these things. Uh, artificial intelligence. We use artificial intelligence. You know, even on your websites – your CRM systems, artificial intelligence, all this kind of thing. And, and artificial intelligence at its base is is basically the way a lot of people do it. It's just increased sample size. And so you're, you're increasing your number of samples. So if you're talking about vision, you're taking 
multiple images of the same thing, and then a human is helping the system classify these are generally good and these are generally bad. And then it has to, so it has to have storage for that. Okay. Which, you know, your your Apple Watch is not going to have a huge amount of storage in it because storage takes physical space. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, you just can't have terabytes and terabytes and terabytes of information on a on a, on a yeah, something like a like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'd have to have like an Apple grandfather clock or something yeah. like that. Maybe one day in the future, but not right now. And then the same thing goes with sensors. I mean, sensors out there on the machines and things of that nature, even vision sensors, they have to have a place to store those images. And so you're increasing your sample size. And then second thing is you need processing power, more power is. Tim, the tool man Taylor used to say. And so you got to have that power because the more your sample size is, the more you have to look through. Yeah. And then the system from an, from an allegorical standpoint, as far as how you would program that, uh, way I would program that either with case selects or if thens for all you want to nerd out out there. Um, I would say, you know, generally if it's in the not, if it's a no good, then, uh, you know, we don't use that. And if it's a method or something, we don't use that anymore. We've classified that out. We just use the good methods. And then if all the good methods aren't working, we may go back. But you that's the algorithm that has to be put together. But you're increasing sample size and basically saying, okay, now uh, we use the vision sensor um, uh, scenario. So if you're taking a picture of a part, the system has to be able to basically kind of eh, kind of looks compared to these bad pictures compared to these good pictures and see which one it's closest to we call that artificial intelligence but it's not really intelligence it's just an increased sample size and now that's where i think the miscommunication or comes into play but there are systems out there they're in their they're in their infancy uh, and this is where the google ai's and those kind of things come together where they start watching they're watching and learning. Mm-hmm. And, they're, and what they're doing is memorizing, again, increasing sample size, but uh, they're increasing uh, or they're, they're, they're observing and taking snapshots, if you will, of tendencies. And in Google's case and Facebook and Meta and all, those, all that kind of metaverse stuff, uh, they're watching us. It's mm-hmm. computers watching us and trying to see our – and it's a program on the backside that's written the algorithm, but it's growing and building up this database to start figuring out and predicting what you're going to do next. And so it's predictive analysis and things that comes from that. And so that sounds great. It does. sounds scary. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you got the Isle Robot film, you know, Will Smith on there showed us how, ooh, that could be interesting. But, uh, you know, we're not there yet, I don't think. But there are some systems out there that are learning like a childlike learning, but they have to have someone to teach them. And the thing, the reason I think that it's a misnomer to throw it in with IoT is just because it communicates over the network does not make it an IoT system. Okay. But it can be used for making some decisions, and that's the goal really of many because we as a country, as a nation, and as a planet, our my generation is working hard to make our jobs easier. Mm-hmm. In making our jobs easier... Just like our just like our IOTA data commander IoT platform, which we're gonna kinda of be talking about, it, it makes things very easy. You don't have to be a programmer. It's what we would call no code programming mm-hmm. or no code setup. And so it's all point and click and all the stuff's written for you in the background and it works very well. So from my perspective, because I know how to write protocols, how to write drivers, how to how to do all the, the programming in the background, the heavy lifting, it's a lifesaver because I'm just like, man, this would have taken me weeks or even months before, and now I can get it done in hours. So that to me is, I have a lot of respect for that. I see a lot of value in it. Uh-huh. But if you're not a programmer and you have no concept of that, then now it becomes, I'm not going to learn that stuff. I'm just going to use this because it's easy. Yeah. That represents a dumbing down. And as long as, as, long as IOTAs are an ample supply, uh, there's no problem. But, uh, you know, in, in our discussion we were having earlier, I used the analogy of a matchbook. If all of a sudden all the matchbooks in the world and all the butane lighters and, and the means of creating fire – are gone. Mm-hmm. Even all the flint sticks and all that go away, and nobody knows how to rub two sticks together. Then the only way we get fire is when you know lightning, lightning comes out yeah. of the sky and you happen to be there, mm-hmm. right? And so it's a dumbing down. It represents a dumbing down. And it's a dangerous balance to get into. But AI is being used a lot, a really lot, 
to try to basically suck the the wisdom out of the brains of us old folk so that the younger folk can have an app and say, tell me what's wrong with this machine and hold it up to it. And it listens and it sees and it watches and it says, okay, I think you need to fix this. That's a nice thing to have, but you also need that foundation to know how to fix it yourself too, mm-hmm. don't you think? Well, you know, a buddy of mine, just earlier this week, we were at a at a, a place uh, and they were doing some games and uh, DJ, you know, kind of games. They had this thing called Singo, like bingo, but with the word sing. Okay. And he was playing music and the titles, you had to know the titles of the songs and you, you know, you got your card, your bingo card basically. And so we were like, yeah, this is kind of interesting but i was looking at the titles and i was like man i'm so lost <laughs> i don't see any i don't i don't and, and i'm just not a i love music but i'm not a song title guy well so the music starts playing he grabs his phone and hits the thing and it says listening boom pops up the title and he's like there you go yeah and we're just filling it out so am i smarter is he smarter i absolutely not we still don't know the names of most of those songs but we were able to do it and it's just like you know what I'm never going to learn the names of those songs. And that's the downfall yeah. uh, to to that. So from the people that it's just, you know, but per, the person that knows all the names and studies so much and all that's just like, oh, wow, this makes my job so much easier. That's beneficial. That's valuable. But if I step in and I'm like, yeah, well, I can do that too. And I don't have to do all the studying and all this research that you've done. So, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those It's things. a balancing act, isn't it? That's right. So what are... Uh, You've mentioned that there are requirements for a true edge-based MES gateway appliance. What are those? So, well, well, first of all, let's define the edge. Okay. So, a lot of people have asked me in an IoT system, and so we're so enough about in what is it, artificial intelligence of things. We're not talking about that. What do we say? AOT. 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 Uh, yeah, no AOT here. We're talking about, we're back to IoT. And so, uh, and, and IoT has some terms that have that are still predominant, but edge. Mm-hmm. So you have edge-based devices, and so everybody's like, what's the edge? And it's always like the edge is pushing, and again, this comes down to marketing. And so there's, and then there's also purist and that kind of stuff, I guess. There's people that say the edge is uh, a sensor. So a sensor on the machine represents the very edge because beyond that, you can't sense anymore. Okay. Right? So it senses what it senses and maybe it's temperature, maybe it's absence presence, maybe it's on or off, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, that's as far as it can see. And so now we're on the edge. Some would say that's the edge. Usually we don't, we kind of, we're like, yeah, that's the far, far, far edge, but you can't do a whole lot out there. So we pull it back a little bit, and but still in that, that zip code, in that general area. So we have a device. So an edge, an edge-based device does need to be something that has some qualities to, in my opinion, brandology, in my opinion, to qualify as an edge-based device. I would call a sensor a smart device. Okay. And yes, it resides somewhere on the edge as part of the edge, the far, far, far edge, whatever, but it's not really where we're doing anything. So if a sensor goes out, that certainly can affect production, but it's, it won't, it might shut a machine down, but it's not going to mess up your projections for next year's manufacturing. Okay. Okay. It's not going to cost you Data. Okay, even though it's collecting data. Well, again, if it's if its sole purpose is to collect data and it goes away, yes, it can cost you data, but it won't cost you all the data. Okay, okay, okay. So um, even if you lose a sensor, if you've got a decent IoT put system put together, you can still because we're Sherlock homing a lot of stuff anyway. You can still fill in some of the blanks. Okay. Remember all of my many. Um, I'm a, I'm an airplane pilot, and so in, in an airplane, you don't have one instrument. You have multiple instruments. All those are giving you feedback or data, but no one instrument's telling you everything. And so you have to look at other instruments, and then your training is if you lose one or two or some of those instruments, how can you fill in the blank? How can you ascertain what that uh, what that instrument, if it was working, would be telling you? as far as what, what the airplane is doing. And you have to kind of do that sometimes anyway. So if you have a good IoT system, just losing one sensor isn't going to be 
catastrophic. Okay. Okay. But nevertheless, uh, so there's there's a there's four qualities of, of a that I think qualify something as being, and it needs, and this is not a one or two. This is an all. Okay. It needs to be reliable. Okay. So um, we're going to go through the details on this. Yeah, I'm, 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 okay. <laughs> so it needs to be reliable. Uh, it needs to. I'm big on this. It needs to communicate, but I prefer it to communicate natively. We'll talk about what that means. It needs to have the ability to do data manipulation and dissemination. Okay. And then it, it needs to have data storage capabilities. Okay. Now, so those those two things. So it's got to be reliable. It's got to be uh, it's got to be able to communicate natively. In my opinion. It needs to be able to mini- not just manipulate data, but also disseminate data. And then it needs to be able to store data. Okay. Okay. So reliability and dependability are, they can be interchangeable. But in this case, you're not talking about the durability of the product. So right. what no. do you mean by reliability? Well, I'm talking about, uh, you're right, durability. When I think of durability, I'm thinking about, you know. How long it can last. Yeah. Just how, does it take a beating? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, you want something that's going to take a beating to a point, but I mean, you, <laughs> we're talking about devices here, guys. So it's not it's not a set of tires, mud tires, or anything. So yeah, uh, dur- not really durability, but uh, but reliability. You need to make sure that it's going to run, and so it needs to be somewhat hardened. You know, um, most and this. So why did I invent the the data commander? And a lot of people have asked me that question. You've heard me answer that. It's because I was doing SCADA systems at the time, and SCADA systems are still very popular. Mm-hmm. But SCADA systems are are all PC based, and they were PC based when I was doing them. And so putting a SCADA system piece of hardware SCADA out there on a, a PC out there, uh, the problem was uh, a PC is something to everybody, everything. Mm-hmm. You can use a PC to be an email machine, to be a, a YouTube watching machine, to be a podcast recording machine, to to um, to do a word processor, all this kind of stuff. It can be something to anybody, and that's fantastic. That's why PCs are great. It's also why they are very unreliable. Uh, from a cybersecurity standpoint, all you got to do is convince the system that you're a mouse or a uh, smartphone or something like that, it gives you rights. And if that's the rights that you need to give you access, you can now start doing stuff and that calls you malware. Mm-hmm. So PCs have, they're trying to be some, uh, everything to, to, to everyone. And so in that, they're not very reliable. So the reason I d- invented the uh, the data commander, which is now the IOTA, is because we needed a reliable p- piece of hardware. PCs are reliable to a point. Mm-hmm. Uh, now there's min- there's questions of mean time between failure. You have industrial grade PCs, which are hardened PCs, and then you have you know your go down to Office Max or something, you know Best Buy and get you a, a laptop or a PC, and that's more commercial. And so the mean time between failure on commercial uh, uh, systems is typically you know around six months. Oh wow! And the mean time between failure on an industrial PC in a truly industrial environment can also be six to eight months. Oh. Uh, it's according to how it's put in. Most of them you get a year or something like that. Okay. But here's the thing. It's not just uh, mean time between failure there, but also mean time between updates. It's a Windows-based OS. has zero to do with hardware. It's the operating system. Most everything's Windows-based. Uh, you can do, of course, Linux-based, but even Linux now is growing in popularity, and so it's now a target for cybersecurity, so it has to be updated. So the big deal is a PC is is 99.9% of the time considered an asset that belongs to the the IT department. Their job is to keep that and all PC-based assets up to up to date and they don't get fired for not making the production, you know, yeah. making the truck. They get fired if that if their PC if there's a, you know, a ransom or a, a virus scan or something like that. Production gets fired if they don't make the truck. So production wants to pull all the stops and get rid of all the oh, all security the, yeah. and all that kind of stuff because all that does is cause problems. And that's what was happening when I was doing SCADA systems is about every three to four weeks when I'd, we'd deploy a system, once it was done, uh, we'd be gone and um, they'd call and something would happen. And, and inevitably, it always was a, a, a virus update or, or Windows update or firewall update or something like that that and I've told this story before. I had one time I had uh, they had a new IT administrator that they had hired, and and he was given a um, a list of of uh, acceptable softwares, the authorized softwares that that are allowed to be installed on company product 
Right, and and our our uh, SCADA system software actually it was the, it was the LPC based software uh, was not on the list, and he uninstalled it. Oh my goodness! And so um, he was doing his job. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people got mad at him, but he was doing his job, and uh, it wasn't on the list. And so, but but that's when I realized it's got to be it's got to be reliable. And Windows machines are not reliable. It's it, the hardware is not reliable, but the Windows OS is great but it's not reliable. And so for that reason, I do not think it's it's an ideal edge-based device. It's a PC, mm-hmm. and it has to always be a PC, and it has to be treated as such. And you can stick it on the edge if you want, but, you know, you're, you're using a – I don't know what's a good <laughs> – I was trying to think of something to that you could use for a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> you're using a screwdriver – a hammer to drive a screw. How okay, okay, yeah. okay. Uh, it's just not. It's not what it's built for. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so, so you know, with our with that from that came the the data commander, which is an appliance. It's not a PC. It's very industrial. It's very hardened from a durability standpoint uh, and a reliability standpoint as far as that goes. But it is dedicated. It will only ever be an MES IoT gateway appliance. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like going home and finding out your toaster oven has now decided it's a garbage disposal yeah. you know it, it's just not going to happen yeah uh, but with windows i just listed off five or six things that it could be yeah and so that's the difference okay that's what i'm talking about as first reliability it's always going to be what you set it out to be and it and it's going to do that in a, in a safe cyber safe and reliable way okay okay can you explain what uh, communicating natively is and why why it's beneficial oh please connect <laughs> Is that OPC? That's OPC. Sorry, sorry, all you OPC fans out there. I'm Wait, that's an OPC. acronym. OPC. Oh, OPC acronym. There you go. OPC. Oh, oh please. please connect. It's a failure points. What it is, oh. and because uh, because nothing, no no PLCs, no CNC controllers, no robot controllers natively speak OPC. Okay. So the manufacturers have to create an OPC convert basically a, a protocol converter to convert their language into OPC or publish it to an OPC UA platform. It's kind of a generic language. And so everybody's always said, well, if we just support OPC, we can talk to anything. And as a result, from a cyber threat standpoint, oh. uh, the hackers have figured that out, that everybody has OPC, OPC UA. And so they can utilize OPC UA, and OPC and OPC UA channels to, to try to to cause problems. Ooh. And so uh, just be aware of that. But um, but it's a generic language. Uh, you know, it's like it's like back in the old, old, old days when when pioneer, with the pioneers and the Indians and that kind of stuff, they couldn't speak the, the native language of the Native Americans. And, of course, the English had their language. And so uh, a lot of them started learning sign language. And so there was a universal sign language that uh, many of the of the Indian nations accepted so they could communicate with the English. And so uh, if you learned that common sign language, you couldn't carry on a huge conversation, but you could, you know, maybe get through, let them know that you're not there to hurt them or that you are. I don't know. But, uh, uh, you know, you could communicate. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's very limited. So uh, in the same way, OPC, which was developed in the, in the late eighties, uh, it's OLE for process control That's is right. what it okay. really stands for. And OLE is object linking and embedding. And it was designed by Microsoft basically to allow us to do word processing with anybody's printer using a, a, a shared driver design. Okay. And so it's really old, uh, but the, the concept was there to, to build OPC, which is OLE for process control. And they've tried to revamp the, remarket the uh, the acronym. I've heard some crazy stuff, but that's what it stands for, guys. That's history. Sorry, I'm an old guy. I know it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the problem with OPC is uh, if if you speak English and I speak Japanese, and I'm not going to learn English and you're not going to learn Japanese, we both agree we're going to learn French. And now. If there's not a French word for my Japanese word, you just don't get that word. Yeah, you're losing some data then. And so huh? we, we well we lose we certainly lose some communication okay. capability. And so let's put that in a PLC world for all you PLC my, all my controls people out there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, in a PLC world, you have addresses, and that can be tag based or whatever. But but whether it's timers, counters, you know, integer tags, floating points, strings, that kind of thing, uh, these are all out there. Well, what if you could only get to 
integers. Then you lose all of your, your analog data for all your floating points. You don't get any string data. So if you're scanning in a part number or something like that, you can't get that. So now you're going to have to stick that into an integer, and you're going to have to find a way on the other side to decrypt it and all this kind of stuff. It would be so much easier to just read the strings. Yeah. And so the controller companies, again, this is not just PLCs, all of them, have to create software that will run on a PC environment that will read out the right stuff natively. It communicates on one side, and then it, it does a translation into OPC and publishes it for an OPC server to our client to, to pick up. And so they decide what they're going to publish. Okay. And if the manufacturer does not decide you need counter values, if you need to know when your uh, Alan Bradley timer timer timing bit is is on and that then they don't carry that over, oh. you don't get it. Oh, wow. So you're going to have to go in and do PLC code to tie that to something that does get published to OPC. And it just it would just be so much easier, wouldn't it? Just oh, to say, sure. hey, that's the bit I want. Just tell me what that is. Yeah. So natively means we can get to that. We don't have to go through that other. Okay. Natively means even though I speak Japanese, you speak English, I learn English. Okay. Okay. And not just, or I learn Japanese. Or you learn okay. Japanese. Okay. Uh, but uh, but but and we don't just learn a few words. We we become fluent. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so that's native communication. All right. And I think it's key for a device on the edge. Yeah. So the third criteria you mentioned was uh, data manipulation and dissemination. Do you want to go into more detail on that? Yeah, I just checked the time. We're we're talking about a lot of stuff. We got I got to speed up. Okay. <laughs> Sorry to you all out there. Maybe, maybe press pause now and look at the other side as part two. But uh, um, data manipulation and dissemination. Yeah. So it's it's not. So what do I, what do I mean by that? The category that says you're just doing data translation. That means you're just taking kind of what OPC does. You're taking one native communication and you're translating it to another, publishing it to another. An edge-based device needs to be able to do more than that. It can do that, but that doesn't need to be where it stops. It has to be able to do more. And so you need to be able to manipulate the data if needed. So grabbing raw data and publishing raw data into a uh, database may be fine, but in a lot of cases, you may want to pull data from multiple data sources, do some analysis on it, Mm -hmm. or some math or something like that, and arrive at a, a more bona fide data value and publish that. And so being able to do, we call those mashups, being able to do data mashups and stuff on the edge can save a lot of time, save a lot of bandwidth, save a lot of processor speed. Because if you end up, I mean, you can end up with a math equation that's got, you know, all all kinds of arguments worth of of data. And instead of having it on the upstairs side, write a program that's going to put all that together and do the math, you could just do the, you know, calculate the answer and publish the answer. So sometimes, now I'm a proponent of having raw data sometimes because sometimes you want to know where the answer came from. How do we drive that answer? Yeah. But there's a lot of situations where you may not need that. It's not beneficial, and you can save yourself if your edge device is able to do that. So so that's where the, the um, what I call the manipulation and the dissemination. So dissemination, dissemination, whether you're manipulating it or not, to be able to disseminate that across multiple platforms uh, very efficiently. So example on that, if you're doing a, if you got a continuous line and up, up and you want to you want to run continuously, which means you don't want to have to clean the line completely out, all the products out from first station to the hundredth station. When we're doing a changeover, changeover means we're going to stop running part number one. We're going to start running part number two. Automobile one. We're going to change from one model to the next. Mm-hmm. Well. Instead of the first station having to wait until the last automobile gets off the line and we clear it all out and now we scan in all the new changeovers, we like to do that continuously yeah. so we just don't miss a beat. Well, a lot of times they need to let the downstairs, the downstream systems know what's coming. That can be difficult, especially if you have multiple processors, especially if they're not even the same processor oh, yeah. brand, to get that information down. So an edge-based system should be able to manage all of that and disseminate that information straight down. So a single scan at the first station can now be disseminated down to all 100 stations, and they all know it's coming. Okay. And so uh, so those kind of things should be able to happen on the edge, by the edge device. It should not have to go upstairs to the IT system. If the IT system goes offline, we can't do changeovers. That should not be even a possibility. Yeah, yeah. So why uh, you, we talked a little bit, you touched a little bit about the data storage. 
But uh, so do you want to go a little uh, bit more into why that's so important for the edge device? Well, being able to do the dissemination and that kind of stuff is more of an active thing. So if you scan a changeover card right now, I can disseminate that data and and I'm done. Okay. So it's more of a real time here and now kind of thing. Okay. Data storage. Storage. So we have some customers who have all their data in some type of a cloud-based system or or maybe it's on-premise, but it's another plant on another continent somewhere. And so they've got some kind of a secure type trunk line, you know, network going. It's not necessarily going to a Google cloud or an AWS cloud or something like that, but it's still not there on your physical, you know, geographic plant. And so it's tied together by some type of, of internet provider, uh, an Xfinity or a Comcast or an AT&T or something like that. And the scenario is, what if, what if the cable connection drops? Well, if everything you're doing is not just single directional and unidirectional, which means it's going from just pulling data, but you're actually pulling uh, information down uh, as far as your process, uh, which a healthy IT system should do, bidirectional data pools, especially if it's involved with production. Uh, if if it's doing that and all of a sudden you lose your AT&T connection, mm-hmm. production is down. Yeah. So a healthy edge-based or true edge-based device should be able to ride through that. We okay. call that ride through. And so the way you have to do that is you have to have data storage. And so with our IOTA device, it stands up a full, we stand up a full database server on on our device. We have to have memory to do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's not an easy thing to do. But what we can do is we can basically say, okay, because a lot of times in the cloud-based system or the hosted-based system, changes don't take place that often. Or you have your day's shift uh, ready to go at a certain time, the night before, morning of, something like that. So we can synchronize with the main server, and now all of a sudden everything's running at the edge because we have synced up our databases. If there's a change, the upstairs data service can tell us, hey, we've got a change, you need to update, and we can do another another synchronization at that point. But if you're doing that and all of your database is now transferred, synced up, basically a, an image is synced up down on the line, and now the line is running straight off of that edge-based database, deal, which you could do with a PC, but remember like reliability. Mm-hmm. And you've got a hardened MES gateway appliance, not a PC. Then suddenly your downtime drops significantly. And even, of course, in our case, uh, if you're pulling the historic data to go back upstairs, we can do our store and forward, which is a simple checkbox. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> and uh, and it, if it loses the server, it just checks every 60 seconds and it'll start reloading it. You know, it's storing it locally. And so having the capability to manage data storage efficiently and on the fly like that is is key. And so we had one one machine builder. Their, their customer required them, their, all their equipment was going outside of the U.S. And so... Network connections were kind of iffy. Yeah, where they're it was sketchy. Going. Yeah, and so uh, they they required that it had to be able to operate without any outside communication for a month. Oh wow! A one month ride through, and we were the only ones that could do it. Nice. You could nice. do it with a PC, but they wanted no PCs on the machine. Well, I can see why. <laughs> so, so do yeah. you have any uh, extra bonus uh, requirements? Well, you know, uh, and this is extra bonus, and I've said it a couple of times. It needs to be cyber secure. It needs to be hardened from a cyber. And so what that means is OTIT convergence, N-O, no. <laughs> That's a marketing term. You want your OT and your IT to be able to communicate, but you do not want to converge them because that means true convergence means whatever's on one side can see whatever's on the other side. And we can try to do this and keep this. A lot of times IT does a great job trying to do this with managed switches and VLANs and things of that nature, but it's still... Those are the, uh, the, the ways that cyber hackers are, are defeating right now. And so it, the idea is having a device like our IOTA, which is a cyber-hardened device, it's in the hardware design. Mm-hmm. It is not a firewall. We can see out both ports, but nothing can see through us to the other side. And getting through is very, 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 very difficult. And that is on purpose mm-hmm. because we want to make sure we keep those two isolated. We want to connect them with our firmware and decisions that we're making, but we do not want to let something have the ability to bridge. You stick a PC in there, even with two network cards, and it can be bridged. It's a it's a vulnerability or a feature, yeah. <laughs> according to which side you're standing on and what your need is of the Windows OS. 
And so um, not any nothing is 100% secure, but there are things that are more secure than others, and ours certainly falls under a lot more secure. Yeah. And so I think that maybe that's not a requirement, but, man, that's a common sense thing that you would like to have. Yeah, for sure. And we're one. that's what separates us from, from our competition. Yeah, yeah. So we went a little long today. Uh-oh. Sorry about that, guys, but hopefully it's been a good topic for you. I would like to ask you one thing. We've been talking a bit about value and how much how much we value the people and our value our audience and our listeners and some of the stuff that comes back. And I want to throw that back out at you guys. Uh, if you all value get if you get something out of what we're talking about here, right, Beth? Mm-hmm. Uh, give us a bit of a shout out. Give us show us some love. But give us we'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, we we love hearing from folks, but I want to hear from more folks. Yeah. For sure. The second thing is, I threw out a challenge that Beth kind of promoted about uh, if you needed to, if you were going to automate something on your plant, and we were talking about specifically robotic type, you know, with a robotic arm, scara, articulate arm, whatever, Cartesian system, and and there was like I would it would be would be simple to do if it wasn't for this one thing. What what would that one thing be? You know, we've gotten some responses, but I want to get a little more, so I'm going to throw that challenge out. And we're going to keep going until we've got plenty to talk about, yep. uh, because I want to know what you perceive to be your biggest obstacle. And then I'm going to try to come up with a solution. Hey, nice. I like it. So maybe I can't. And if that's the case, we'll just all sit in the corner and cry together. But uh, we, could, we could find another way. I want to come up with some con- and not necessarily saying, I know all there is to know. But I've seen a lot of people smarter than me solve a lot of things. And if you have a, uh, an obstacle that's similar to that, then maybe uh, their their experiences and their successes is something I can share with you. Yeah, absolutely. So that's that's the big shout out. Beth, how do you want to wrap us up? I think we just wrap it up. Just wrap it up. <laughs> Guys, thanks for joining us today. Yes. We also always appreciate the, the listeners and the comments. Absolutely. Thanks, Beth. Thank you, Brandon, for your expertise. All right. And, and thank you all for listening and watching. That's right. So we got the video this time. Last time we didn't have it, <laughs> yeah. we got it square. So, uh, and I'm all on, now it's fall. Yeah. Go Vols. Yeah, go Big Orange. All right. We'll see you guys. Take care. Hey, guys. Thanks for checking out today's episode of Industrial Automation. It doesn't have to. I hope you enjoyed it. If so, make sure you give us a rating that's pretty doggone high and do that everywhere you listen, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We'd really appreciate it. Also, don't forget about our website. That's www.elitech.com. That's E-L-L-I-T-E-K.com. If you want to reach out to us there, you can fill out our contact form. We'd appreciate it. Also, you can email us at info at And certainly for those of you that still like to dial the phone, give us a call, 865-409-1555. We'd love to hear from you.